Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. This is the comic book writer, artist, creator interview show. This month, I produce an interview every Thursday for you to listen to. Well, today you're being rewarded with an extra one this week. I have a brand new interview with Jeff Loveless. He is an Emmy nominee and a WGA award-winning writer. And he writes for Jimmy Kimmel Live. He also does work for the Onion News Network. His first comic book was A Plus X number 16. He has also written Nova and Groot for Marvel Comics. And now he has a new comic book series coming out through Boom Studios. Something completely different, a story about Judas. Judas Iscariot of the Bible goes to hell. This is a four-part series coming out in December. It's something I'm really looking forward to reading, and it caught my eye in the previous catalog. It's something that really stood out from the pack, and uh, it's out there with other religion-based books, such as The Dark Ark by Cullen Bunn, and of course, The Goddamned by Jason Aaron. So, if you like The Goddamned, and you like Sandman, Vertigo Comics, this may be the series for you. I get Jeff's perspective on Judas Iscariot, how in some ways he was given a raw deal, and how he's going through hell seeking revenge and redemption. We talk about some of our favorite biblical films, and we also talk about rest and relaxation, his desert island book, and of course, his beverage of choice. So let's join my interview with Jeff Loveless, here now on Creator Talks. Jeff, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you so much. My first question for you, just to get started, beard or no beard? Which do you prefer? Ooh, yeah. Currently, I've got a beard. Uh, I don't – I'm currently grappling with this uh, myself. I I think I prefer not to have a beard, but I've gotten positive reinforcement on the beard, and so I kind of keep it. <laughs> and then sometimes, like, if you're on a long trip or something, I like the feeling of, like, you've, you've just grown a beard of weariness on your travels. So I guess, I, I guess I've come around on the beard, and I'm lazy. I, I hate to shave. So – and when I shave, I look 13. So – I, I guess I guess I'm leaning pro beard, even though I, I kind of always see myself without one. Well, besides your writing, you also do acting work. Now, is that helping you with the acting work? I don't know. Like, I, my I, the only headshot I have is like four years old, and it's like a clean shaven, like thirteen year old boy look. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've been writing for so much, I haven't had a lot of chances to go out for the acting. So I, I uh, hopefully, I, th- I think I've got some free time coming up. So I'll, I'll get back to you on that. I think. I think I'll probably go clean shaven for acting because the beard just looks weird. I look like a serial killer. <laughs> well, you, you can. How fast can you grow a beard? I cannot grow one. I just it comes out horrible. It, I I can't do it. I think I've timed it out to like a month and a half, and I can have a pretty like full one. But it's all it's all up in the air. Like the month before it is pretty rough. <laughs> You've just got to mm-hmm. stick with it, and you just look. You you just have to accept that you're going to look like someone who's going to stab a guy at a bus station. And then, like in, in a month or so, it'll you'll look hopefully like a like a traveler or something. I don't know. I tried once to grow a beard when I had uh, chicken pox, and oh, yeah. my daughter gave it to me, and I was like thirty three. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what, dude. You get chicken pox when you're that old, you think you're gonna die. Oh it's man, not, that's, a, that's uh, a calamity. It is. Little kids don't care. They're just like, eh, they run around. They don't. They don't even notice it. But when you're an adult, you think the world's coming to an end. Every noise hurts. Your ears light hurts. You just want to curl up into a ball and die. Yeah, yeah. I got a. Uh, I had a 
tonsillectomy when I was like what 25, 26. And that's usually like a thin kids, you know? And man, that like I was bleeding out of my throat for a few weeks. It was really like it was more intense than I thought it would be. And so those like those childhood ailments, get them while you're young. Yeah, I had them when I was five. They put us on a gurney, three of us. And one by one, we went back into the room. I guess they just kind of cranked us through like people do uh, LASIK surgery. Just like, ah, I run them right through. And, of course, I'm the last one to go. So you just kind of see one disappears and the next one disappears. That anticipation. I don't remember ice cream at all. You know, they say you get ice cream. I don't remember that at all. I remember ice chips and potato chips to get the skin off my throat. It was painful. Oh. No, I don't have any good memories about that at all. <laughs> chips? What is an is an ice chip like a bizarro version of a potato chip? <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be soothing, and they come oh, with wow. the potato chips. It's supposed to like pull the the skin off and help clean the throat. But you know, it's like physical therapy. It's not pleasant. We haven't quite figured out medicine. I don't think like it's it's like. It seems like we're still testing it out to see what doesn't kill us. Well, here's the thing. I understand now that they try not to do that. They try not to remove important parts of your immune system so it doesn't screw you up for the rest of your life. Yeah, probably a good call. Probably a good call. Um, hey, so you're mainly doing writing now. You're not really doing any acting or really focusing on that? I'm I'm just kind of seeing what pops up. Like I was I was uh, writing at Jimmy Kimmel for about six years, and I would, I would do a little acting on that show. And then I just got a new job uh, at, over at uh, – there's this comedy writer named Simon Rich. He has a new show coming out on like TBS. So I was writing for him. And now I finally got off of that show too. And so it's like – you know, when you're, you're in a writer's room, you're kind of – you know, you're booked all through the day. And so now I, I actually am kind of excited. I would like to do more acting stuff because that is originally like what I was doing in, in L.A., and so, yeah, I mean, it's mainly been writing these last few years, but I wouldn't mind jumping back in because I, I really do love acting. That'd be fun. Now, my understanding about writers, just listening to other podcasts about people writing for talk shows, you're generally not seeing the host a great deal. I mean, was that the case for you with Jimmy or were you just in the writer's room? You know, it kind of varies. Like, I mean, like there's old, there's old like legends, like, you know, how the writers would never see Letterman or Carson mm-hmm. or anything like that. Uh, I'd say, I mean... I'd say we're kind of in, on the other side of that spectrum with Jimmy. Like we'll see him at rehearsal and like if you've got a sketch, you run it by him multiple times. He's very involved in the notes process and stuff and he's a super nice guy. So like it, it's a mix of both. But then if you don't have like a sketch or a, a direct bit with him, yeah, you might go like a week or two without seeing him. <laughs> but it's not it's nothing. It's not really like a shadowy emperor sort of situation. He's just a busy guy and like, you know, you'll see him when you've got a sketch to do, I guess. But uh, yeah, you, you, it, it is very – those late night shows are very much like well-oiled machines. So you, you're, uh, you're plowing away and you don't even realize it's been like a month or a year. You're like, oh, wow, like we've been in this for a while. Uh, but it's a fun job. Of all the things you've done, all the comedy you've written, was there yeah. something you did that you saw when it was done on TV and you went, I nailed it. You can just you – you're like excited because the crowd just really reacts to it. Right, right. Oh, I hate myself too much to ever uh, enjoy my work, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? There was we did a lot of big sketches. We did a lot of like viral sketches. But for me, like it was near the end of my run at Kimmel. I knew I was kind of uh, going to take this new job. And I did this random sketch where we gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to the guy who got eaten off the toilet in Jurassic Park. 
me track down the real actor. His name is Martin Ferrero. Like he lived out in the Valley of LA. And like we brought him in and he was confused as why we were doing the sketch. But he was super nice and like he nailed it. And at the end of that, I'm like, you know what? That is a wonderful thing to go out on. Like it was not a big viral sketch and nobody like, you know, it didn't get a lot of pickup. But I thought it was so silly and stupid. And we got the prop guy to make like this oscar shaped you know like trophy of a man getting eaten by a dinosaur off the toilet i'm like this is the beauty of late night tele- television <laughs> so like we did a, i mean we did a lot of big things but i am really going to remember that small little sketch i love that so much i'm going to get to judas i'm not going to forget that just a couple oh, yeah. of a couple of questions is there something is there a role that you want to play at some point there's something that you're just dying to get to at some point like that's me i, I can see myself in that kind of role oh man that's a great question uh i mean acting siphons hmm yeah i mean i just love i would love to be on like a good single cam like you know maybe like a cable or a small audience sort of comedy show i just love comedy so much and and uh i've been writing it for so long and acting in like little sketches or things like that but it would be fun just to carve out a little niche is like i don't know like a funny friend or whatever I don't, mm-hmm. and then like uh, i would love to die in like a star trek or a sci-fi movie i've always <laughs> wanted to be like or like you, you look like alien like i don't know if i have the physique for like a burly like space marine guy but i would love to get eaten by some sort of like monster or you know like horror movie thing um a, a good death that's what you want a good yeah, death yeah, yeah. and it's like in like superhero stuff i don't know who would i you know, in the dream casting or whatever i guess i mean i i i mean so much of my humor was based off of spider-man i think i've aged out of spider-man <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. it was weird it was weird to watch spider-man and think like wow that kid's like seven years younger than me wow what a weird thing <laughs> uh but uh you know, I love Cyclops. I always loved Cyclops from the X-Men growing up, and I consider myself a very repressed uh, loser. And so I would kind of love it. If they're ever rebooting that or whatever down the road, I'd love to give Cyclops a try. Cool guy. As a writer and an actor, do you watch comedy now and other TV shows? And are you more critical when you watch them? Are you analyzing? Are you able to sit back and enjoy? Or are you always going, hmm... I, I might have done it a little differently or I would do a little tweak here and there to make that funnier or make that a better drama. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's kind of an unintended consequence of any field that you're in. I'm sure like dentists will look at people's teeth and then like, oh, wow, I would have done something there. Like, oh, 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 that's good work. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, like anytime you watch comedy now, especially late night TV in which I've had so many years of like working in it. Like you see kind of the sausage and you can see like the things that went into it or whatever. Um, and then like it makes it even better when you watch, say, like a great comedy. Like I think Fleabag on Amazon was just like pitch perfect. And I was so in awe of it. I think Veep has like just the best like punch for punch jokes on TV. And so it it, it, it both like uh, denigrates like the bad comedy where you can look at it and just see like, oh, that's lazy writing. Or, oh, that's not good. And then it really like makes you appreciate the better comedy more. It's like, wow, I could never do that or I want to do that. So yeah, I kind of it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, talking about comedy, I enjoy going back and watching the reruns they're showing now at Carson cuz I'm a fan. I always was. Mm-hmm. And I look at it differently now cuz I know a little more listening to other podcasts about what went on behind the scenes with the writers, the actors, actresses. And I was watching a rerun the other night and I was so glad I saw this. I don't remember seeing this when it came out. This is way back in 81. Robin Williams' first appearance on The Tonight Show. I don't know oh. if you've ever seen it. I'll go back and watch that because I, I, I kind of – I wasn't old enough uh, 
I was kind of born when when did Carson retire? Like ninety one, ninety three? Uh ninety two, I believe. <laughs> oh, I was off. Uh yes. I mean I was born in nineteen eighty nine and so like I was just never of the of the generation of Carson. But I I am fascinated by him and I go back and watch uh clips of his from time to time because I uh I really especially love his farewell episode because there's just so much weight to it. Like he just really it really felt like a a seismic generational shift when he retired. And I, uh, especially in late night TV, the era that I, that, that I worked in it for and like the current era, it, uh, you know, there's so many choices and it's so splintered and you have a couple Titans of late night, but nothing in the way that like Letterman or Leto or Carson were. Uh, and so it's funny to me to go back and watch Carson episodes and realize like this was the show. <laughs> this was the late night show. <laughs> and it's it just so monolithic to the culture. Um, I love old clips of him. Uh, him and Steve Martin, I feel, were so great. I, I love um, – did you ever see the clip of him and Steve Martin? Like when Steve Martin was promoting The Jerk and Steve Martin suddenly acted like a huge big shot and he like left the show early and it was all part of a big comedy bit. Like the show. <laughs> no. Oh, it's so great because like Steve Martin had been on for like his stand up and stuff. But like, yeah, this is the first time he was on Carson for like being a movie star. And he like he cuts the interview short and says like, yeah, actually, I got a, you know, I got a couple Hollywood parties. I got to go, man. I, I'll see you later. And like he walks off and then Carson continues the show. And then like 10 seconds later, Steve Martin comes back in tears, like, broken by Hollywood. <laughs> And realizing that he was like lying to Johnny Carson that he's such a big shot and stuff. Like it was it's such a good live comedy piece. I um yeah, I love those old shows. Uh yeah, big fan of like You would really like love, in fact, uh, the Robin Williams one because I it's just watching him ad lib, you can tell he's just kinda of going with things and it's just an amazing piece to watch his first appearance. Because he was nervous, but he just he yeah. took over. I will do that. He is such a force of nature. Him Buddy Hackett, who got bleeped a lot, uh, right. just go off the rails, and Jonathan Winters could just ad lib anything, and he was just crazy. But it's it's fun to watch that and just to see these guys at work, and I'm sure you'd really get a kick out of it and appreciate something like that. Check that up, yeah. I don't. I've heard so much about Jonathan Winters, and I haven't really. I'm not that familiar with his work, you know. Like, unfortunately, it seems like comedy is such a short kind of half life, uh, and and it's. It's up to us to kind of go back and watch stuff. Are, are, are you a are you a Peter Cook fan at all? Oh, you know, I haven't seen much of his stuff. Uh, Cook and uh, Moore were a team at one time. Dudley Moore, yeah, right? I really like Peter Cook, and it's it's such a strange thing to see, like how sometimes quickly like comedians are forgotten, or like what lasts, like what is a legacy in comedy, like who like who, like, who sticks out from the '60s and '70s, and like. It, it, and how many names have we just kind of forgotten in the shuffle who inspired other people? <laughs> it's kind of a depressing thought, but uh, it's cool if, if you can last the test of time. And yeah, I think Peter Cook, man, I, I have a book of his sketches, um, and they're still like really good stuff. I, <laughs> I'm very impressed with him. But he never really caught on in America, which is kind of a weird thing. It's, it, it's hard just to gauge audience taste. Right. They think of Dudley Moore, they think of 10, but a lot of people in America don't know about Peter Cook. Yeah, exactly. And I think Bedazzled is such a good performance, uh, especially his uh, – oh, I guess this would tie into Judas. Did you ever see that old Bedazzled movie from the 60s with Peter Cook? No, I he, haven't. Oh, yeah. He and Dudley – it's him and Dudley Moore and, they, and Peter Cook plays Satan. And he gives a pretty great monologue. But I, didn't, I, I didn't even plan this in the discussion, but like it actually ties into my understanding of Satan <laughs> or my view on him. Um, oh, that's funny. I, I didn't think about how that would uh, intersect. But yeah, Dudley, uh, Peter Cook is the best.
Well, that's a great segue. So about your book coming up, Judas. And well, I mean, that's a pretty weighty topic uh, for a, a man who works on comedy and, and is a writer. Why Judas? I mean, that's that's a heavy subject. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I guess I kind of enjoy this second career of mine in comic books. Like I've, I've done a little bit of stuff for Marvel and I, I just had my first like original like sci-fi comic with with Aftershock. And I kind of I appreciate the ability to like tell dramatic stories or huge like you know or just to dive into big topics in comic books. I, I've been a, like a lifelong fan of them. I was reading X Men and Spider Man like pretty much as soon as I learned how to read, and so like I've always enjoyed the medium, and I, I like how it just has this huge limitless canvas for ideas. And uh, yeah, I like I was approached by some people at Boom after they read my Nova series, and, and um, they asked like what I wanted to do. And I was pitching a couple ideas, and the last one on the list, and I was, I almost deleted it from the pitch because I thought it was too weird or too dark. Was this, uh, was this Judas idea? Because I had always, like, I, I was raised very religious, um, uh, very, 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 very Protestant, and so you know, just you know, the Bible backwards and forwards. And I always felt kind of sad for those people on the fringes of the Bible, like. There's Judas, and then there's uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt from the story of Exodus with Moses. Because there's a couple passages in it about, like, with, uh, say, specifically Judas, like, Satan enters him. And there's a passage where Jesus kind of tells him, like, do what you have to do. And there's verses of Jesus saying, like, um, woe to he who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better if he had never been born. And so, like, there was this kind of this weight of predeterminism uh, with Judas. And I always felt so sad for the guy to where like, he seemed locked into this position. And as soon as it was done, as soon as he betrayed Jesus, he instantly tried to make it better. Like he threw the money back at the, um, at the officials that had kind of bribed him. And then he, and then in, in certain gospels, like he goes and he, and he kills himself out of sheer guilt. And so I always thought there was a, a narrative story there that maybe wasn't being portrayed. How like, you know, it was partly his decision that like he kind of, you know, he did do the actions, but it also seems like the, 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 the pitch language I used to them was that he was trapped in a story that was beyond him. And like, he was just sort of like this, you know, vehicle of fate. And I wanted to kind of portray, um, uh, the, the guilt and the conflicting emotions. And then in like a supernatural twist, like I thought it'd be very sad to have Judas wake up in hell and kind of realize like what, he did and how there was no chance for him to be anything else. And then on the flip side of that, I thought if I was Judas and I had been with Jesus for all those years and then like, and then you, you wake up in hell, you would kind of realize like, Oh wait, like I kind of got screwed over here. <laughs> <In a> way, <laughs> you know, Jesus knew the entire time this is going to happen and he didn't do anything to prevent it. He didn't try to, you know, like, and in like the Christian mythos or whatever, like, you know, we're supposed to love our enemies and forgive anyone who, you know, trespasses against us. And I always felt kind of sad because like no one forgave Judas, you know, like no one was really there to like redeem him. And so I wanted to maybe put him on this sort of like biblical odyssey through life and death and heaven and hell and earth as he tries to like find some sort of redemption or I guess revenge too. I don't want to spoil what happens. But uh, yeah, I think he's an interesting guy. I like Judas. Yeah, I, it caught my eye right away when I saw that. I was like, oh, man, that's a gutsy move doing a book about that. And, and I'm looking at it from the human standpoint. Like, here's this individual, and this is how things turned out for him, and all this was predestined. And just looking at the mythos, I'm um, just trying to make sense of the story of what happened to Judas. It's like, well, 
what happened to free will, but yet this is all predetermined. There's a lot of conflicting things going on there. Like, how do you reconcile all that? And it's great to see this finally fleshed out into a story because I don't think some people realize sometimes that some of the stories they know and have always believed or thought were part of the Bible, well, they're not necessarily part of the Bible. They might have been something that was developed later on to help explain something, maybe during the Middle Ages, but it's not part of the scripture. Now, you're drawing your inspiration from that particular passage of the Bible. Now you're trying to flesh that out and say, hey, what would have happened? How would he have felt? Put yourself in his shoes. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I'm trying to mainly go off of the like the actual just like scriptures themselves and then sh- and kind of like flip them on its head and and show the perspective of uh, from Judas's point of view. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's really fun to take the source material that we all know and kind of fill in the cracks and uh, show it from the underbelly, I guess. Um, yeah, and then, and, and same way, same uh, to 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 uh, build off of what you said. Like, I'm not here to like bash religion or do any sort of like you know like <laughs> scorched earth. Like, my mom is a deeply religious woman, so is my dad, my entire family. Like, it, I'm not here on like, this vendetta against it, but I think it is like a it's an inter- interesting exploration of it. And, and in a way, like it's been kind of fun while it is a completely like fictional story and it's, you know, just it, its own kind of contained story. I actually would like to see what deeply religious people think of it. Cause I actually think it kind of works well within the framework of the Bible. Like I would like to see, like, I want to see like my, if my old pastor has any thoughts on it or something. Cause I don't think it's as blasphemous as people might think. Uh, no, I think of it kind of like as a thought experiment. Like, okay, where would this have gone? What would have happened? You know, let's imagine beyond this. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I've been pitching it as like fan fiction of the Bible. <laughs> like it's just like another like side of what's going on. Um, well, I'm so glad uh, that that means a lot that you saw that and wanted to reach out. Thank you, man. Well, it, it was it's said in the solicitation that it's great for fans of The Goddamned and Sandman. Now, I haven't read much Sandman at all, so I'm no expert on that. But The Goddamned I did read by Jason Aaron. And I really like that because – it was beautiful and ugly at the same time, you know, just the way it showed the the evil of man, but yet Cain looked at this perfect specimen, and it was a really good read, and it was it was rough, but it was a really, really good read, and I that's the kind of what I was expecting, or what I am expecting here with Judas, is the same kind of uh, in-depth look into the character, and going beyond the bounds of what we think it would be about. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm on the flip side of this. I've read a fair amount of Sandman, but I haven't read The Goddamned, uh, but I love Jason Aaron, so that is, I mean, he's my probably my favorite contemporary, like, big comic book writer. Uh, I, I love his... He writes such a good Thor. I love his God of War or, or God of Thunder stuff. Um, yeah, like I have read a lot of Sandman though, and what I loved about Sandman, they they briefly touch on some Satan stuff and some hell, but you know he goes through so many realms, and I love, um, yeah, I just love the way Morpheus plays with like doubt and dreams and how like life kind of. I, I just love the the canvas of the comic, how like he can step into people's thoughts and whatnot. It's like. We borrow a little bit of that, but I think it's it's all in like a in a in a reverent spirit. And I love, like you said, what Jason Aaron did with Cain. Like the Bible has such a deep rogues gallery in a way that, like, really I think puts Batman and, and like Spider Man to shame because, like, the Old Testament is full of such great villains, and uh, we've been able to use them, I think, in a creative way. Because if you if you literalize the the Christian mythos. Like they would all be in hell probably, right? And so Judas kind of has this reckoning with like people he's heard about or people he thought he knew about. And then you kind of get to see their side of the story as well. It is kind of a fun, like uh, it's a riff on Old Testament mythology and a bit of Dante's Inferno. And then, uh, you know, you just see what 
what Jacob does with it. He, he's such an amazing artist. I, I, I just got the first um, like finished artwork yesterday, and I'm, I'm just so excited to see what he does. Boom came to you. Now, did they suggest Jacob, or did you know Jacob from some other work? This was a, they suggested him. I'm so glad they did because I am such a novice in the in the comic book world. Like yeah, like like I said, like most of my work is television comedy and like you know essay driven comedy. So in the comic world, like I've been lucky enough to work with really good editors at Marvel and and AfterShock and now Boom, who who are able to kind of recommend an artist because I I I wasn't familiar with Jacob's work and man, it's so good. I, I'm sure some uh, preview art's going to be coming out in the next few weeks. He really like. Um, he brings like the, kind of the weight of Roman Catholicism and like old like Byzantine art into it. Like Christianity, uh, you know, like has a lot of you know ups and downs. I'll say, but like the the art it brought into the world is just spectacular. And he's really like, I, I'm so impressed and so grateful he's on this because like you get like these Renaissance renderings and and like he uh, in one of the preview images he kind of put this like black halo around Judas and I'm like what a creative idea I've never seen that before <laughs> like old like fresco paintings you know obviously everyone has those like you know kind of like yellow halos and old Byzantine art or something and to make it black is just such an interesting like reversal and I, I that was that was all him like I didn't add that at all <laughs> and I was so uh, I, I've just been so impressed with what he's done and his um his rendering of hell I, we've had a lot of conversations about that because the only downside of a project like this is that it's been like Christian myth has been, you know, uh, drawn so many times. You want to portray something new, you know. You don't want to just have fire and brimstone and you know, like a red devil running around. Like you, you want to really sink into the hopelessness and the loneliness and the and the guilt. And um, I think he's done a really cool job with it. There's more blue than red, which I kind of enjoy. It's a colder place than I than I think people are expecting. I really like it. Just when I saw the cover art, it did remind me of that Byzantine art, almost like stained glass in a way. And I was like, oh my God, this looks so good. Yeah, I, I'm so down with it. And like, we've been sending each other reference art and uh, like, uh, yeah, like old, just like, you know, battles between saints and demons and like the, you know, parting of clouds. And, and then uh, Hieronymus Bosch paintings from the Middle Ages, I just think are hmm. so creative and crazy when it comes to portraying hell. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a wealth of wonderful Renaissance art to choose from. So I'm 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 stoked to see where he goes. What of your own background and upbringing are you injecting into the story? Ooh, um, yeah, I mean, I, most of it. I mean, I'd say all of it. Like, I I really I had such a um, thorough education on. I guess I mean I, I'm, I mean I'm not like a seminary student or anything like that, but I I really do love the story of the gospel, and I think. It um, it is really just the basis for Western storytelling. Like whether we you know even realize it or not, like everything is just kind of centered around like these Christ narratives and these resurrection narratives and sacrifice you know sacrificing yourself for your friends and all this stuff. Like I really love just weighing into like the bedrock of Christian storytelling and um, and I always liked growing up like I'm not I'm not very religious myself now in the literal way, but I I uh, so I kind of wanted to bring a bit of that like. <laughs> antagonistic streak to it as well or that like rebellious kind of devil's advocate approach if you will i guess this is like a literal devil's advocate approach of the story um so yeah i guess i am kind of working through my own uh relationship with christianity because i do appreciate a lot of it and i think there is such a rich storytelling aspect to it but there's a lot of it that i don't like in the fact that i'm you know i'm not a christian myself um 
uh, yeah, so I guess like this book is sort of like a meta conflict between my appreciation and my disdain for Christianity at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's been kind of an interesting conversation with myself within the text. And this is going to be a very tight and complete story because it's four issues. So everything's going to wrap up in those four issues. I mean, this isn't like one of umpteen arcs. I mean, this is truly the one of the stories of the Bible that you're interpreting or taking further. And that's that's what it is. It's four issues. Exactly. Yeah, I, I thought um, I didn't see this as a long ongoing and I thought the quality would drip if I had to stretch it out. I just I very much like woke up um, one day. I'd always had these thoughts about Judas and Christianity and predeterminism, but I, I just kind of I think I was at Kimmel and I had like this shock to my system thing like, oh, man, like, oh, that's a story. Oh, wow. Like I had like a couple of I, I that image of Judas in hell and like and it's kind of his his uh, odyssey through hell. And I'm like, oh, that is a story and all the people who you would meet. And then I, I kind of had a very definitive ending. And so I thought much like there are four gospels, I'm like, well, maybe I can just keep it to like four issues and you, and four perspectives of different characters and how all kind of through the, the main lens of Judas. And uh, yeah, I, I, and they were so cool. I'm so glad boom didn't really try to stretch it into like a mini series or stretch it into like a, a maxi series or a long ongoing. Like they, they were cool and they appreciated that. Yeah. It's only going to be about four issues and it's a very tight, complete story. And let's just tell the best one that we can. I'm very, I'm very glad it uh, hasn't like stretched out into like a, a crossover event or any sort of like tie in stuff like Marvel. <laughs> well, I'm glad there's a lot more freedom for writers through companies like boom and aftershock and image. Cause a lot more of these religious based stories are coming out now. Um, like the goddamned through image and also a Cullen Bunn has one now a uh, dark arc. Yeah. When I saw that, I'm like, Oh wow, that is such a great idea. <laughs> it was one of those ideas that made me mad for not thinking of it. Cause I'm like, Oh, that like the fact that there's another arc for all the evil creatures of the world. Like that is, that's a remarkable idea. Oh yeah. It's on my pull list. I've been reading it. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that. Do you expect, and I'm not asking for this to happen. I would never want this to happen, <laughs> but do you expect any kind of pushback through social media? People just kind of going off the deep end. I mean, there's probably always a few. I would hope not. I don't expect that much. I've gotten a little bit of that. Um, and I saw like some, you know, you, you'll Google yourself and you'll see a couple like uh, people upset about it. But I think that's just kind of how it goes when you're talking about religion or things that people take seriously. Um, I, I'm not too worried. And in fact, if they reach out, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. Because I think once they read it, it actually like, I don't know. It, it will challenge the, their point of view, but I, I actually do think it kind of like fits within the uh, the mold. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to think about it too much because you can't let yourself be dictated to by the critics or by the angry people that much. Um, and I think most people, like in my experience with with Christians or Christianity, like yes, people do get upset and yes, people do take it very seriously. But a lot of the times, I think Christians are they're nicer than we give them credit for it. You know, they're, they're not all Westboro Baptist church. They're, they're just a bunch of, they're just a bunch of moms who like go into potlucks and stuff. Like, you know, they're not, they're not that bad. Like they're, they're pretty nice. So I, you know, I, I'm expected, I'm, I'm expecting to see a few, like I'm expecting my youth pastor back home to be a little upset and my mom maybe did not like it so much, but 
I, I think we'll be all right. I think, <laughs> but I'll, I'll lay low if the Crusaders come after me or like the Spanish Inquisition starts up again. Well, I, I hope people just keep an open mind and don't judge it on just like face value of, oh, without reading it and just assume, oh, well, this is what it's about. All that's blasphemy. I mean, that, you know, it's a, it's a story. And relax. <laughs> Unfortunately, religion does have a track record of people uh, <laughs> hopping on the bandwagon against stuff. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Do you have a favorite religious film uh, that you saw growing up or saw recently, one that really stood out in your mind? Oh, you know what? I do have <laughs> – I don't know if you'll ever get this answer or not. Uh, in the 1970s, there was this like VHS animated movie about Pilgrim's Progress – uh, it's a cartoon, and I saw it as a kid growing up a ton, and I actually really think it's spectacular. It's only like 40 minutes, so it's a short film, but it uh, it's a pretty great adaptation of John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, and it portray it. You know, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the book or the story, but like it kind of puts it makes Christianity into sort of this like Iliad or this Odyssey like adventure, and it's and it's this deep sort of allegory, and it's kind of a silly story at the same time, but. I thought the film, like, it's dated and it's hokey and the animation's weird and the voice acting is odd, but it really did strike me growing up. I think it's a pretty good um, physicalization of Christianity. Um, and then when I was growing up, uh, I revisited these to get into the mindset for writing Judas because I actually think they're pretty good, uh, but they are for children. Like, there were these VHS tapes, uh, what are they called? Like, stories from the Bible, like nest animated stories from the Bible or something. And I've always had, like, whenever I read the Bible, I have the voice of the guy who voice over Jesus, like in my head. <laughs> you know, like, it's pretty intense, like how much of a, how much of an effect those had on me, but they actually are pretty good. Like, uh, it might be the, like, the, like in the way of like, when you think of like your childhood or like, you know, say like Marvel comics, like for me, I think the best portrayal of x-men was in like the 90s cartoon that i saw growing up and that's like always going to be x-men for me kind of the same way like when i think of religion i always think of yeah that guy with the jesus voice who just sounded like a chill dude and you know they did pretty they took out all the problematic stuff about the bible and just made good cartoons about you know jesus making fish and jesus being nice to people (laughs) like like, hey not too bad uh as far as like serious films um let me think good christian films I guess it, it kind of bleeds through because there's a lot of you know, like films that have deep religious themes to them, like Les Miserables or like obviously Silence that came out with Scorsese last year. Um, I, it, it's hard to say. I always, I don't know, like because I don't like these heavy-handed Christian movies. Like there's so many like Christian-produced films nowadays, like God, God's Not Dead or like Left Behind or stuff like that, and they're just not good movies. But. Um, there's like an old Jesus movie from I think also the 1970s. That was a pretty well done one. There was like a CBS movie called Jesus uh, with like Jeremy Sisto, which portrayed him as more human, which I kind of enjoyed. But I don't know. It's kind of hit and miss. I love the Ten Commandments. Oh man. Oh yeah. Like the, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, what? I'll go Ten Commandments. That is like an old epic. I love that. It is. You have to love Charlton Heston. I was thinking of the TV one too, the Jesus of Nazareth. I think it was on NBC, like the seventy-seven or something like that. That was a very good portrayal. That was a very good story. I thought so too. And yeah, they just kind of use the Gospel of Luke as the backdrop, and they just uh, they spell it out. It's a it's a pretty good story. So you don't have to dress it up that much. <laughs> like if you just tell the story, it usually works. Is there any kind of research that you did for this story, or that you have done about 
the Gospels because there. I mean, there's certain books I have read just for fun to learn more about it, more about the history. And uh, one particular writer, Bart Earnhardt, he used to be a religious guy, and he's not now, but he goes into how the Gospels were written, when they were written, like how it was decades after Jesus' death, how these stories were passed along and how some things were changed and how some Gospels were accepted and how some were thrown out and how there were different factions that broke off. I and mean, it's really interesting to see the whole history of it because they teach this stuff in seminary school. Right. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look up Bart Earnhardt. That sounds pretty great. Uh I will look that up. You know, I did receive, I did some research on the Gnostic Gospels, especially the Gospel of Judas, just to make sure I wasn't like treading on territory or, or you know, doing something that had been done before. There's this old play, uh, was it like The Trial of Judas? No, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, I think it was a, a play that was in New York for a bit. Um, uh, the, the, the author of the play escapes me right now, pretty well-known guy. I, I would look at like tangential sources, and obviously there's like G- Jesus Christ Superstar and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um and like, I, but my philosophy with this story was kind of taking the like the general story that everyone knows, and so it was helpful for me to like read the Gospel of Judas. But like, most people haven't read the Gospel of Judas, and most people don't know about like the Council of Nicaea, the kind of you know canonized scripture. And so I thought it would actually be a more useful approach to read the canonical gospels themselves like read them all the way through pick up the verses pick up the stories and go from the text that most people know like go from the general story and then you can kind of dive deeper from there like as you see in like ver- in issue one there's a very small instance in the bible where uh jesus is getting like his uh his feet washed and anointed by this uh by this poor woman and Judas, of all people, speaks out and says, couldn't that like expensive perfume have been sold and given to the poor? And in the Bible, uh, Jesus says, like, well, the poor you will always have with you, but you won't have me. And it, that is kind of portrayed as, you know, in the gospel, obviously, that puts Judas in, uh, Jesus in a good light and Judas in a bad light. But for me, I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of on Judas's side right there. Like, and G- Jesus kind of comes off a little haughty in that, in that mm-hmm. portrayal. You know, like, and then in, in I forget if it's in Matthew or Luke, it says like, and from then Ju- Judas kind of decided to betray him and like J- Satan enters him. And so that portrayal is not talked talked about a lot, but I always thought that scene was kind of important. And so I kind of in the in the issue, like build up that scene a bit more and I go into Judas's past to see like what could have led him to that. And so it's been fun. It's been fun to read the tangential sources and the historical pieces but I thought it was more useful to dive into like the the stories themselves and, and see what extra meat we could uh, put on the bone there. And so this is due to come out in December. Right in time for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. <laughs> be yeah, great. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if it came out like the Wednesday before Christmas? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's the birth of our Lord. I want it to come out on Good Friday, just uh, the day he died. The, there's your marketing plan. Makes a great stocking stuffer. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's hard to get away from these Christian holidays of ours. <laughs> as much as the president likes to say that, like, you know, Christianity is under attack. I think, you know, we're, we're living in the year 2017 years after Christ died, and we celebrate the birth and death of him. So I, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. Now, I ask these questions of all guests, yeah. and they're just fun questions. Uh, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation? I love to read. I don't know if that counts as rest or relaxation, but I think it's so helpful to read as many comics and as many books as you can if you want to be a better writer. Uh, I love to travel. I love just to like hike around a national park or go on a road trip by myself or go to another country if I can squeeze out the time. I, travel is by far the best way to kind of clear my head. I think it's so much fun. Um, 
I love to go to see comedy shows. I haven't gone to that many recently, so I got to get back into it. Uh, I'd say, yeah, travel and reading are kind of my favorite things. Okay. Have you done any hiking out of state? Have you traveled to go hiking or is it mainly you know, roughly where you live? I went to Kilimanjaro last year and that was just Ooh. a, yeah, that was a really fun experience. And in, uh, if I have time this year, I would love to go and hike the Everest base camp, which takes about anywhere from like a week and a half to two weeks. So I'm going to see if I can finish up Judas. <laughs> I got to get these, <laughs> I got to get these drafts into a uh, boom, but then I would love to go and do the Everest base camp and, uh, I just did um, a little bit around Acadia National Park in Maine. It wasn't like extensive hiking, but, you know, just kind of walking around in nature. I think it's always just a fun thing. Yeah, I do want to get to Maine's Acadia Park. I haven't been there yet. That is on my list of places to go. Yeah, it's very nice. And try to get off the main roads and just like go in, into the like inland and like you'll, you'll just see so many amazing trees and leaves. It's, it's very pleasant. That's what I like to do is get off the beaten path. I try to get away from people as quickly as possible and go on the trails less traveled and enjoy the solitude. Yeah, the so- if you can find the solitude in a national park, it's always hard because there's so many people. But like, if you can find solitude in a national park, there are a few things like it. It's so beautiful. Now, hypothetical question: You are stuck on a deserted island, and you only have one book with you. What would that book be? Oh man, it's got to be a long one and one that's like re-readable. I don't want to say the Bible because that's. <laughs> too much of that but there is a lot of it i mean you could you could get a lot um maybe like the collected works of something something that i've always wanted to get around to but haven't and would read if i was sick or had the time so like i've already read war and peace so i gotta scratch that off the list maybe i don't know i don't know anything about shakespeare so maybe i would get like one of those like volumes of shakespeare just that has like all of his stuff and i can just finally dive into it and be a pretentious asshole who knows everything about Shakespeare. <laughs> I've always wanted to be one of those. Or uh, how do you pronounce it? The Silmarillion? Like that old J.R.R. Tolkien, like the huge Lord of the Rings book? Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. I haven't read a lot of Tolkien. I think it's called the Silmarillion, and it's like just his comprehensive history of Middle-earth. But I, I would love to read it because I love Tolkien, but at the same time, maybe it would be more useful to read like a real history book. <laughs> that would <laughs> Like maybe spend that time reading about like the Third Reich or the Roman Empire or something to just understand the world a bit more. That could lead to your next story. Yeah, it could. Oh man, oh you might you're actually onto something. I got I got this uh, little uh, Nazi thing cooking up, but I don't know. <laughs> I think I put that on the back burner because I think Nazis are uh, you know we got too many Nazis in real life, so maybe I won't do that one. You're batting a thousand Judas Nazis. <laughs> Exactly. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one on the side for okay. a day. <laughs> and uh, do you have a beverage of choice, an adult drink? Ooh, adult drink. Um, you know I'm not too creative with my alcohol. I usually just get like a glass of wine, like a Malbec or something. Uh, I like old fashions. Uh, but my go-to like drink, if I'm on an airplane, I always get a cup of coffee and a ginger ale, and it just makes me feel so productive. <laughs> like it, it's a splash of caffeine and sugar in every right way, and like I have no internet and I have no phone, and so I wish I, wish I was always on an airplane because I'm I'm so productive and I'm always doing work and stuff. It's uh, that, that that's kind of my go-to drink. Uh, but yeah, lots of red wine is always fun. Yeah, I prefer red wine myself. That's my my preference of drink. I like beer, but you know, it does it does show after a while. It does kind of grow on you. So. <laughs> yeah, beer. Like I kind of had a I've fallen out of beer because like you just have to have so much of it. I feel to f- feel anything, and you just 
it feel gross. Like there's just so much liquid in you and like, it's just not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel really bloated. I enjoy it, but I feel like, Oh, you know, unless you're like a, like a Viking celebrating like a, a victory or something, or like you're at like yeah, Oktoberfest or something like you don't, there's no need to have that much beer. No, I try to pick something fancy out like a nice IPA or something sure. I want to have one of that just nukes your, yeah. Yeah. Black. You're good to go. I come home with one. You know, my wife said, you're, gonna have, you're having just one. I said, yeah. She goes, that's that's a 20 ounce. I said, it's still just one, but it's really good. You want to have some? Uh. That is a good way to phrase it. Yeah, I like, I like that. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you spending time on the show, and I am really looking forward to the book. This is something different, and uh, I'm really excited to read it and see where it goes. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I, I'm so glad people are uh, like interested in the book, and that means a lot because I'm currently writing issue number three, and and banging my head against the walls to bring it home. <laughs> so this was the uh, this was the encouragement that I needed. I, I I hope you guys like it. I it's really it's been a challenge and a, and a really fun like exploration for me. And I, I uh, I'm really excited for the story. And you guys are gonna love Jacob's art. Like it's uh it's it's amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe, it's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod, there I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site I will be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one. Your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.